The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 278 for August 9th, Monday, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to a Monday afternoon edition of the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I am Dave Hamilton, as always, joined here by my co-host, Mr. Oh, John F. Braun. There he Hi. Is. How you doing, John? Excellent. Good. It's nice to be doing this on Monday. It's uh, we gotta. It's good for us to be on a schedule. I know our listeners appreciate it. It's good for us too. But uh, nice to be back on our our normal day of Monday. And and I believe I was I was glancing at our calendar. It looks like that's going to be uh, where we are for at least the next little while, which is which is nice. Mm-hmm. Summer summer often gets crazy, I guess, especially uh, June and July. We've always got trade shows and traveling and various other life things that get in the way of this part of our lives. But anyway, we've got quite a few things to go through today, John, but it turns out that as I started prepping the show this afternoon, I realized, holy moly, it's time again for cool stuff found. Uh, We've got a ton of stuff, stuff that you sent in, stuff that we've found along the way. And uh, so we're just going to we're going to run through a bunch of these, as we always do. Of course, we have your questions uh, and some of your tips at the end, which we will uh, which we'll go through as well. Do you have anything to to share before we before we dive into cool stuff or go from there? Um, yeah, I was trying to figure out that iCal problem. You know, I'm going to figure that out. Which iCal problem is this? Well, we we, we had a oh I don't know did we no we discussed it in the last show, but it was a uh, the background color on iCal. Basically, yes. I concluded it is not one of those graphic files. Oh. Although some of those graphic files, the so resource files, the TIFF files, although changing those does change the month view. So I managed to get it to do funky colors in the month view. Yep. As far as I can tell, it is not. Uh, th- those do not correspond to the background color for the current day in the uh, the day view. And I'm going to figure this out. I'm I'm going to. I think I may have to like decompile this or something, or use some of the uh, wow. developer tools and find the call to the routine that changes colors. I mean, there can't be that many of them, right? No. <laughs> well, but no. I, I was ham- I was hammering away at that, and uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it's possible. So. Uh, Man, if somebody can figure that out, that's that's going to get you like the, the geek crown. Uh oh, we're going to have to have this thing molded out of uh, out of pure bronze, right? Mm-hmm. All right. And I don't know if you want to talk about like, cable woes. Maybe we'll talk about that a little. Yeah, later. let's talk about that a little bit later. I think that's a, I think it's a good thing to talk about, actually. It, you know, the first thing I wanted to talk about, John, we, we've been talking about multiple displays a lot, right, where you have more than one physical monitor connected to your Mac and and the various ways that you can not only arrange the way the monitors are seen, but also where content goes in on which monitor it goes. We've been talking about the dock and the menu bar and your, you know, main icons and applications and all that. Well, I kept saying, and you can only have the menu bar on one screen at a time. And of course you change that in system preferences. And then from the people that bring us better touch tool, which is a very cool little utility that allows the uh, magic mouse to kind of move to do things that it normally uh, would not be able to do is something called second bar and second bar does exactly what you might be thinking it does. And that is it adds a second menu bar onto uh, your second screen. Now it's in alpha. It doesn't work with some apps, but, uh, but it works and uh, and it's actually pretty cool. So I recommend checking it out. It's at blog.boaster.net, B-O-A-S-T-R.net. But, but of course, we'll have a link in the show notes for that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything to uh, anything to add there, John? You, you don't do two screens, do you? No, okay. no, no, pretty I mean, much. Uh, well, you, do I two screens. Up. you do two screens, but you do them with two different computers. That is correct. It's pretty cool. You can set the, uh, you know, if you want the second menu bar to be transparent and you can set it as to whether or not you're able to actually move it from window to window if you've got more than two screens. So it's pretty cool. Uh, all right, let's go to let's go to Mitchell here, because there used to be an app called 
visual hub years ago uh, that was great for transcoding videos, specifically those that you would pull off of uh, a camera or down from your TiVo. And it was great for transcoding them into formats that you could play on your computer or on your iPod or Apple TV or whatever, but it was discontinued and, and all development was shut down and you can't even download it anymore. And Mitchell wrote on show 277, you mentioned transcoding video in reference to a question from Matthew. I use a piece of software called video monkey. Video monkey is a free video encoding application exclusively for the Mac at videomonkey.org. It was created after the demise of the great tool Visual Hub. Video Monkey borrows heavily from the Visual Hub video conversion tool, both conceptually and from the original code dump posted to Search Forge, Search Source Forge as Transcoder Redux. I really like the program; easy to use as they have presets. You can also adjust the presets and automatically add to iTunes. And it is; it's at VideoMonkey.org. So thanks, Mitch. Uh, it it I played with it a little bit uh, today, and it it sure seemed to do a lot of the same things that Visual Hub did. It seems to have some features that aren't quite finished yet, but, uh, but you certainly can create things for your Apple TV or your, your other Apple devices, which is probably what the lion's share of users were using visual hub for anyway. So very, very cool. You can pull down those MPEG twos from your TiVo or from your cameras and convert them right out. And, uh, and it, you know, in the, in the quick test that I did today, it seems to work. So thanks Mitch. That I had no idea that it existed. And I know a lot of people lamented the demise of visual hub. Yeah. Anything, John? And it, and it's got a monkey. I mean, everybody loves monkeys. Everybody loves monkeys. Everyone. Haven't you always wanted a monkey? <laughs> yes. <sighs> okay, good. Uh, okay. Kevin passes along a question for a friend. And it... Um, oh, no. I'm pulling up the wrong Kevin. That's right. We're not in question mode. We're in cool stuff found mode. I have to pull up the right Kevin. Kevin did pass along a question for a friend, and we're going to get to it uh, before the end of the show. But uh, Kevin, and it may even be the same Kevin, uh, wrote, while perusing one of my favorite geek sites, thinkgeek.com, I came across a wireless router to fit the traveler's lifestyle. TrendNet's 300 megabit per second wireless N travel router kit seems to be a good alternative to Apple's Airport Express. Coming in a few dollars slower than Apple's product, and it is web browser configurable too. So this answers the question, John. We've had people say, what if I want to travel with just my you know, iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad, and an Apple Express, Airport Express router uh, and go into a hotel room? How do I get into the configuration screen if I want to? And our answer thus far has been, you don't. And I believe our answer still is you don't. But now with Kevin's recommendation here, it's a you don't. But instead of buying an airport express, you could buy one of these. Is that is, am I understanding that right, John? Absolutely. I Yeah, I checked it out very quickly. Uh, it looks like it will do uh, five gigahertz. Uh, it, it advertises up to, I believe, 300 megabits per second, which is the uh, five gigahertz. And yep. Correct. And, uh, and yeah, as you pointed out, uh, it's, I, I look, it's seventy six ninety nine, which is, uh, just a few pennies less than the airport express, which last I checked is $99. Yep. And it, it's got a cool design. It's, it's very flat. Uh, it's got kind of a little bump in the middle so that it can fit an ethernet cable into it, but it comes with a little travel case, so like a zip pouch that holds the, uh, the device. I believe it holds a USB cable and I'm not sure why, an ethernet cable and of course the power adapter because you need a power adapter for it. So, and I do remember the question and Oh, and one thing that I did, I suggested, and I'm just going to warn people oh, about this. It's USB I, I, powered is why it has a USB ooh. cable. So it can be either, which is actually really cool. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I like it. But the, the one thing you should not try now, one thing uh, that, that I had found and, and messed around with was a Java airport configurator that I guess did it through SNMP or, or something. Okay. I believe it was. As it turns out, that utility kind of destroyed the uh, configuration on my. Uh, so, so I took one for the team. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 oh, absolutely. No, I, I ran it and it changed some of the basic settings in my uh, time capsule. Yep. But when I went back with the actual time capsule utility, apparently it was unhappy with what this other utility had done. Oh, interesting. 
and basically the the airport would not respond to the airport utility anymore uh-huh. so something so some setting yeah their software didn't like what it saw as an invalid configuration so it just wouldn't even connect uh, so I, I basically had to reset it okay right uh, and fa- then load factory reset factory reset and then reload which you can do with the latest airports of course is uh you know save uh one or more configurations which is uh, something you may want to do okay. okay every now and then just in case something like this happens uh, I'll put you on the spot, John, because it's always good. You know, I, I find that the more I hear how to do these things, the better chance that I will remember when in the heat of, of battle with one of these technology pieces. Uh, how did you factory reset your airport express? Do you remember off the top of your head? Oh, um, <laughs> and I thought I it was a reset. I thought it was a reset button. on device. Oh, okay. I thought there was a reset on this one. Okay. Usually has a little triangle next to it. And then there's uh, import configuration, open configuration, export configuration file. There we go. So in the airport utility file menu, export configuration file will export the configuration to a file. And then you can load it back in later by saying import configuration file. So, okay. So you something did- you may want to do rather than re-rolling your configuration, especially if you're going to set up, you know, access control or anything out of the ordinary. Right. Right, right. Okay, so factory reset. You uh, and how, I may have how, had, how did I, you do that? Do you remember? No, I thought it was a reset button on the back of the unit Th- here. There is. There, well, there's also. I'm sorry. There's also. You can right click on it in the airport utility, and there is a restore default settings. I, I may have. I may okay. have done that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I did. Actually, I found it here. So you're right. You can do the factory reset using the airport utility, which is exactly what you described. And the other is that you unplug uh, the thing. You hold the reset button in with a pen or pencil and then plug the power back in or plug it back in uh, until you see the light on it flash rapidly and then release the button. And that will uh, that will do it. And apparently that's the same for not just. Well, wait a minute. That's actually no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reading the wrong thing. That's for a time capsule airport express or airport extreme, but the, oh, where is it now? The airport express, the old airport express, uh, press and hold the reset button with a pen or pencil for one full second. The led will flash Amber. Uh, let's see. Factory reset. Same thing. Yep. That's right. It disconnect it from power, push, push the pen in. Yeah, it is the same for all of them. So, so time capsule all the way down to an airport express. It's unplug it, plug, push, put, push something, paperclip, pen. If your finger's really tiny, maybe you can fit that in there. Uh, back of an earring at, into the uh, reset button, hold it in there, plug it back in and wait until the light flashes rapidly after a couple of seconds, and then you can release the button and that will, that will do it. So long way to get there, but I always, I always find it's handy to talk through that stuff because somebody out there is going to need to do it soon. And, uh, and hopefully we save them having to try and look at yeah. when their when their time capsule is on the fritz and they can't get right. online. Right. People right. like me who decide to run these ancient Java utilities that uh, worked on earlier units, but don't work on the current. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But again, I was willing to take one for, for rather than having the listeners do this. Of course. Of course. All right. What's what's next? Next is our first sponsor for the show, which is barebones.com with Yojimbo. I've been using Yojimbo since it was released. Literally within hours of it being released, I knew that it was for me. But it took me a, but it did take me a minute to figure out I did well, it actually took me several hours to figure out that it was for me. And the reason is that a piece of software like this. It, on the surface does not give you uh, an obvious path. A word processor, you start it up and ah, I know what to do. I type, I print. There we go. Maybe I save. Yo, Jimbo, it's sort of a blank slate. Uh, they do have an introductory movie now at barebones.com that you can watch. But the idea is that Yojimbo is a single repository for all those other things that simply do not have a home. So your email is fine, right? It's got a home there. Your Word documents, you probably have those in uh, in a folder on your Mac. 
But then you probably have all these things, little snippets of information. Maybe you store them on stickies. Maybe you've got a folder full of text files. Maybe you've got some PDFs or some screenshots, just stuff that you want to save. And you're sort of dumping it all into one place, maybe or maybe multiple places. But it's not really in a format that when you need to look for it, it makes anything easy to find. That's where your Jimbo comes in. You just start dumping things into your Jimbo. Graphics, screenshots, PDFs, text files, you name it, and, and it fits in, right? We put audio files in there from the show, but all the comments we play, and even the theme music I've got baked into your Jimbo now, so I can just play it out of there. It makes life really, really easy. Then you give it a name. You can give it a tag. You can assign it to a collection. So all the stuff that I use for Mac GeekGab, I put into a Mac GeekGab collection, and that way, when we're doing the show, I just highlight on that. And yeah, sometimes I might pick Kevin's question instead of Kevin's comment, but at least I didn't pick something from uh, Kevin, a guy that used to work for us five years ago, and I needed to save a snippet of information from him that I haven't deleted in a while, right? So uh, it lets you narrow things down. And then, of course, you can search and filter, and it's got a Safari-style search, or, or rather, I should say, an iTunes-style search where when you start typing things, it narrows down the list of that which is available. Again, this is Yojimbo. Uh, it syncs with MobileMe. So if you have stuff on one computer you can and you have a MobileMe account, you can sync it with MobileMe, and all the stuff that you have in Yojimbo on one will appear on the other, and any changes will kind of cross-pollinate back and forth. It is Yojimbo. It's at barebones.com. Free download. And then once you're hooked, it's only 39 bucks. So, uh, so go check it out. You will almost... Certainly not be disappointed. I certainly wasn't. So that is your Jimbo. It's time to move on to Raphael, John, unless you have Indeed. something else. All right. Raphael says, I remember a while ago when you guys were talking about having no startup chime when turning on the computer. I found this little tool, which does exactly that. It is at auto mutecom Thank you, Raphael. Uh, and he's right. Of course, when you go to the Web page, you think, uh, no, dude, this is just Windows. But when you scroll down, you realize, oh, no, they've got a Mac version, too. And it does. It has options. Uh, it, it, it runs a little demon in the background. And when you go to shut down, it'll mute your sound automatically so that when you start back up, the sound's muted. You hear no startup chime. As soon as it comes back up and it runs again, it unmutes your sound. And boom, there you go. You can have it mute sound when the screensaver appears. It's actually pretty, pretty darn cool. Very, very simplistic. But that's what you want for an app like this. So. Definitely a worthy component of our cool stuff found. You had you had something to say about this, John. Yes? No? I, I don't know. Maybe you did. No, not, not okay. this one here. I All remember right. we had I remember we had the challenge where we yeah determined right. that there is not a nice way on the latest Macs to right uh, do yeah. the startup chime at least the first time around. But no, that's that's right. Uh, that's, right. that's great. All right, off to Connor, who has a comment about last week's show talking about the differences between mailbox rules and smart mailboxes. And then, of course, he follows it up with the cool stuff found, making it perfect for this show. Hey, guys, this is Connor P. Two quick bits of uh, follow-up from the last, well, one bit of follow-up from the last show and one cool stuff found item. First is sort of a difference between mail rules and uh, smart mailboxes. Mail rules, since they get applied only when mail comes in, will uh, once it's been filtered, it doesn't get touched again. So if I have, like, I have a mail rule set up to filter all my email that has the word college or university in it because I'm getting all sorts of solicitations from schools and dump it into a folder. And that's great, but sometimes I get some other mail in there that has college university in it that I don't want in there. Since it's a mail rule, I can just pull it out of that folder and put it where I want it. But if that were a smart mailbox, it doesn't work like that because smart mailboxes, I believe, apply their rules to all mail in your in mail constantly. So you don't have that flexibility with smart mailboxes, but there are definitely some good uses for them. That's right. Yeah. It, it, just to throw something in there, you could define a smart mailbox rule that only includes mail from certain other mailboxes. 
And if you were to move that message out of that mailbox, you could have it then excluded from the smart mailbox. Do you, do, you, you don't use a smart mailboxes, do you, John? Not yet. All right. Well, maybe someday you will. Just rules. The, the only thing I noticed is that when you create a rule at that, uh, at that point, it says, oh, by the way, would you like me to apply this? That's right. Or you can, in the message menu, you can use uh, apply rules and it will apply them to all of the highlighted messages, which can also mm. be handy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and one thing I've noticed is uh, and a listener previously pointed this out. Mailbox rules will not be applied to messages that are not marked unread. So if a message is marked read or replied or forwarded or anything other than unread, when it comes into the mailbox, it will not apply it. And that's because mail doesn't really know, you know, what else you've done on other computers. So it assumes if the message has been touched in any way that it better not, uh, it better not apply rules. Of course you can still apply them manually as a, as a district drive. So, yeah. All right. On to Connor's cool stuff found. Yes, John. Absolutely. All right. And my other little tidbit is I know you guys are, at least I know Dave is a fan of an app called Marco Polo. Um, but it has been rather lax on development lately, as I'm sure you've noticed. So I have found a reasonably good substitute for it that actually fulfills my needs better called Airport Location, I believe. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I think that's what it's called. Um, And one of the reasons I like it, among other things, is it allows me to change the settings of my firewall and settings in the sharing preference pane to turn things on and off, whether I'm at home or out and about on a dangerous Wi-Fi network or not. Uh, So just perhaps something to check out. Uh, This is where you cut me off. Cool. And he's cut off. And Dave, oh my gosh, looking at this thing, the one th- the only thing I got to say, Dave, is I don't like the name. <laughs> yeah. Because this does not at all. I mean, I thought it was it, it was totally not what I expected when I checked it out. And and they start off in the description here basically to get down what it does, but you know, they start off here saying, "Wouldn't it be great to have 10 to 15 computers?" And I don't necessarily know if I want to have 10 to 15 computers. But it essentially gives you that. So what this does, Dave, Looking at this is that it lets you lets you, I would say, bookmark or record configurations for uh, over. I counted them. I think it's forty three different features within the OS. I mean, every any almost anything you could think of your Bluetooth, your brightness, keychains, device, firewall, as as he pointed out, uh, your Skype and your iChat status, VPN. I mean, this is this is location services on on steroids i mean this saves everything so a very very nice catch here cool yeah i saw it was it 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 from and i did not try it but it seems the whole idea is you save snapshots so in instead Hmm. of going in and specifying yes when on this particular network i want this setting here that setting there which i think i believe you can do uh it starts off by saying why don't you get everything the way you want and then I'll and then just tell me and I'll go ahead and save that so to make your life a little bit easier. Right. Because you're probably used to going through the motions of, oh, yeah, I got to turn off this and turn on that. And, you know, so do your thing and then tell it to grab a snapshot and, and then give it the rules to apply that, which is really cool. I, I mean, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Right. And, and I think it's similar to Marco Polo in that I see another feature that they have here is called hardware sets, where if you have a particular combination of hardware hooked up, it will then invoke a particular snapshot. Right. Like to give an example here, video editing. So you may want to have certain network interfaces or, or other things. Right. Active. So, uh, yeah, I, I never heard of this. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give it a spin. Yeah. No, it seems really, really cool. And it can even and, do, uh, location based stuff. So if it, you know, if it knows, well, you're in, you know, like for me, if I'm in Austin, maybe I have a different profile because I wind up doing something different every time I'm there than I would if I was in San Francisco or whatever. And it, it can even do some of that, too, with with location services on OS 10, which is actually really, really cool. Yeah. And how? Oh, wow. This guy's a nut. How much is it? Make, it appears to be a make a donation where. Cool. Well, I'm looking at the download page and there's a nice, uh, I assume, PayPal or something. Yeah. And it says if you enjoy it make a donation cool well if i enjoy it i'm gonna make a donation 
as it should be. All right. Uh, anything else on that one, John? No, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to trying it out. Okay, cool. Here we go with Scott. Hey, John and Dave. This is Scott from Boston. Uh, just a quick comment on the uh, topic of capturing video from a flash or uh, other websites. There's a utility, and I don't think you mentioned this, called Cosmopod. It's a very, very inexpensive, five, I think, 5 or $10 piece of shareware, and it will capture uh, YouTube or other flash videos right off the web. And it just installs itself as a browser plugin, works great in Safari and Firefox. And then uh, when you get onto one of those pages where there is an object like that that can be downloaded, it just goes ahead and uh, will save it to a local file. And it even is nice enough to install it. Uh, as a file inside your iTunes library, if you wanted to. Cosmopod, it's five bucks. It's definitely worth having. Other readers might be interested. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Scott. Very cool. You had a, you had a thought about this, yes, John? Well, just in general. So this is for Safari. Right. Now, as you may know, Dave, uh, as our listeners may know, or if they don't, but the most recent release of Safari. So I always use Safari as not a very extensible browser. I mean, certainly, and, and this actually kind of backs that up because this is a plugin. Right. Um, I still think, though, I think we're going to get a little competition now in the browser space because I've always seen Firefox as the best browser as far as supporting third party plugins. I mean, they got a little marketplace right there. But then, as you may have noticed, Dave, the latest version of Safari now supports extensions. Right. Which are, I don't think they're quite as powerful as, as plugins, but I'm seeing a lot of them out there, and I've actually started using a few of them. Uh, the one that I do like is, uh, so of course I have a Twitter one, which will show you, uh, I think it'll let you uh, tweet the page that you're on. It'll show you the trending topics, which you may or may not care about, um, and a couple other things. I think it'll also show you who else is on the web page that you're looking at, and I still don't have figured out quite how they do that. That sounds like um, Big Brother. Certainly does. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out if that's in fact what it's showing. Some web pages I go to, it'll uh, like like even ours, uh, our contact page, it'll show some people's Twitter addresses, uh, but not all of them. So I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But um, now the one that I really do like, Dave, uh, and this is a standalone service, but it's also an extension. Check this out. It's called Tinai. Actually, this is a little uh, thing uh, in in the context of a uh, cool, cool cool stuff. stuff found. Yeah. Now, what is Tinai? You ask, Dave. Well, uh, John, what is Tinai? <laughs> Here's what Tinai does. Tinai is a reverse image search. So, say you're on a web page, you see an image, you want to know if it's anywhere else on the inner tubes. Well, that's exactly what Tinai does. And I can imagine a number of uses for this. I would think probably the, the main use is if somebody's, if you have images and people are ripped off yep, or, or borrowing them. When you told me about this, I, I, I tested it. I put in the URL mm -hmm. to the iPhone 3G picture that we posted mm -hmm. to TMO, you know, before the iPhone came out. Because mm -hmm. I knew that was one that people had copied and sort of propagated throughout the web. And yep. I did. I found, you know, hundreds of, of different websites or it found hundreds of different websites where that same picture appeared. That, and that's pretty cool. Uh, I don't know how it does this so fast, but uh, but it certainly does. And it looks like they've got an API. So if you're a programmer, you can actually, uh, you know, build this into something and maybe in your content management just system, just say, hey, go, you know, find me everything that, that you know, everywhere that this image appears. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like a, a yeah, like a Google for uh, images. I, I don't think, uh, of course, there's also a Google image search. I mean, you, you know, everybody knows about that, I, I, I assume. Though I don't know if it's, it's quite a, yeah, it, it quite, I don't think it tracks individual images, though. Yeah, it's, well, it's not going backwards, right? It's not right, doing a right. reverse image search. It's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. I, I would love to know more about how they're doing it. But uh, it, says it, it says they just crawl the web for new images and... My guess is they do, you know, some sort of checksum on them to they, you know, they'd have to. They would have to. Right. And and then they take your image. They do a checksum on it and then just go find every other image in their database or every other link in their database that matches an image like that. And off they go. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, and that actually ties it. And there's another thing I've been, I've been meaning to explore, and I've been looking at this uh, subject matter, and I wonder if they do have, or, or if these guys are doing a form of it, but it, it's called digital, I'll call it digital watermarking. Okay. Um, I have seen, I believe in Photoshop, they have a plugin uh, from a company, Digimark. Yep. And what they will do is let you invisibly, so, so they have some watermarking products which basically just slap something on your image. You know, that's kind of crude. But Digimark has something where they'll embed a pattern that really isn't detectable to the human eye, but it embeds information in the image. And, the, the, you know, so you can embed something like stolen from Mac Observer, you know, or whatever. Right. And, and it's buried in the image. And the thing is, if somebody, if somebody uh, runs away with your image and they don't know that it's in there, and even if they do, I don't think they can uh, get rid of it, but they don't know it's there. So that that, that trust the technology too to uh, you know to find out what, where your images are going and if people are appropriating them without your knowledge or consent. Right, right. Very interesting. Yeah, interesting. All have right. you uh, have you tried the extensions yet? Or uh, I tried the New York. I tried one extension. I tried the New York Times one, and it was fine. It, it didn't. It didn't capture my interest enough to say, "Yeah, I want this crap in my browser window all the time." <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, there, I mean, there, there's some Firefox extensions, like some debug stuff and things like that, where they, that are very useful. So I can definitely see where it has a spot in Safari. I'm, I'm glad the opportunity is there for developers to to do with it what they will. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I did the one. I, I did their uh, breaking news one, so it's not as uh, you know, it comes up. Every every couple of days, maybe if, if something important's happening. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I should tweak it a little bit. I just, you know, I, I didn't need more stuff trying to distract me. So, all right, all right, on to Dennis. Yeah, yeah. Hi, John and Dave. It's Dennis from California. Hey, I was just listening to episode two seventy. Uh, you guys were having a discussion. Uh, a listener was trying to use Command Tab to hide Windows and then bring that window back up. Um, I'm not sure if this applies, but here it goes. You go command tab to the window you want to hide. Then uh, you release the tab key and you press the H key while still holding command. And that hides the window. Now, when you want to bring that back up, you just simply go command tab and you tab to that particular uh, icon that's on the screen. You release the tab key and then you press down while still holding command down the alter option key and then you release the command key while holding down just the alter option key and that brings that window out of uh, its hidden state so i sure hope that helps and uh we'll talk to you guys again real soon still loving the show thanks guys thanks dennis always a pleasure that's really bizarre john uh hmm. have you have you tried this no of course not all right, so I believe I've hidden something, but I don't know if I've hidden it. How, how would I know? I'm, I'm trying this now. Okay, so now it's hidden, and I'm somewhere else, and if I want to bring it out of its hidden state, of course, I have no idea because I've got too much stuff open on my computer. I couldn't possibly see if... Uh, if uh... Oh, it totally worked. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know that you need to hold down alter option, though. Let, let's try this. I think you can just tab. Yeah, you don't need to hold down Alt uh, or, or Option. You, you bring it back just by tabbing to it with with your you know or cycling to it with Command Tab, and then just hmm. letting go, and it pulls it it pulls it live because you've now activated that app. So, all right. I'm not sure what what condition there might be some condition where Alt slash Option is necessary, but but in the quick test I just did, I didn't find it. But that uh, that doesn't mean that it's not there. So, all right. Anything, uh, anything else on that one, John? Nope. Okay. Michael has an interesting, uh, interesting thing here. Let me, let me pull up his, let's see. He's got, uh, he's got an audio comment. Hi, John and Dave. This is Michael in Boston, twitter.com slash MLV. You often suggested that people email recorded messages from their phones. I find that I can record my voice best if I can write it down first, organizing my thoughts, and read what I wrote. Now with iOS 4's multitasking, that's possible. Just go into the notebook or anywhere you can type, copy, and paste text, and write what you want to say, copying the text to the clipboard. 
Switch to the voice memo app and start recording. Then switch back to the notebook and read. When you're done, tap the recording bar and stop the recording. Hit the right arrow next to the recording and you can trim it if necessary. Then share with the email, paste the text you copied, and send it to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Wait a minute. Did you say feedback at macgeekgab.com? <laughs> I think he said <laughs> feedback at macgeekgab.com. All right. Uh, we'll let him finish. I hope you listeners enjoy the tip. Cut me off here. Perfect. So no, <laughs> thank, thank you, Michael. That, and he did. In fact, he, he wrote it into an email and, and sent us the email, which had that exact text, but he's right because iOS four has multitasking, which means you can only do this on, uh, on your iPhone, your newer iPhones or iPod touches, but not yet the iPad. Uh, you can, you can record voices, voice memos rather in the background, which is pretty cool. So, uh, that, uh, and it seemed to work just fine. So good trick. Thank you, Michael. Where are we here? Greg? Yeah. So, uh, you know how we love Lucy phone, Lucy phone being the service that you go to Lucy phone on the web. You type in the phone number that you want to call of or the phone number of the customer service department that you want to call. And then you type in your number, your phone rings. You go through their AVR system, typing one for this and three for that and 14 for this and hold your mouth just right. And this, that, and the other thing. And then you're brought to the inevitable hold queue. And when you get there, because you let Lucy phone place the call, you hit star star on your phone and it hangs up on you. But Lucy phone keeps waiting on the other end until the customer service rep is ready to talk to you. It gives them a little spiel about what's about to happen. And then it calls you back. And you are connected to this person without having to waste your life sitting there listening to whatever the hold music du jour is, right? We've got that far. Well, now there's a Lucy phone app for your iPhone and you can log into your Lucy phone account. You can store your phone number there and it works just like you'd think it worked. So uh, it's free. No reason not to have it. Go check it out at the app store, Lucy phone. And we'll put a link in the show notes and uh, Michael Johnston the person who converts this to AAC will put it in the enhanced show for you as well. And go ahead, John. Yeah. Well, you know who I found is pretty good about this and, and this is a, a little tangent, but it has to do with the, well, it has to do with TiVo, but I say TiVo is one of the better ones. Uh, so I had a little problem, Dave, this sort of freaked me out. I, I don't know if I told you about this, but TiVo had applied a software update to my series three. Yeah. <clears throat> I believe you have the same one. I do. So, and you usually know that they do this because when you start it up, it gives you the THX screen and, and, you know, shows you the happy little TiVo guy and stuff like that. But as soon as it restarted, oh, Dave, that was horrible. You know, the boop, the little yeah. bidoop sound? Yeah. It didn't sound right. Huh. I was okay. like, oh my gosh, they, they changed the badoop. But then I started listening to other stuff and everything had this very trebly... Uh, very trebly uh, tone to it. So, so the Bidoop wasn't low. It was, it was almost like it kicked it up, not an octave, but everything had a really harsh trebly edge to it. And I'm like, oh, well, they just, you know, of course. Well, uh, I'll say this once, that being a software type of guy, I was going to blame the software update, that somehow they inadvertently screwed up processing of audio. Okay. And I was like, oh, no, this is terrible. So I called up TiVo and I got someone almost immediately. So I didn't need to use a Lucy phone. And I'm telling the guy, I'm like, you know, it just updated. And, you know, I restarted the TiVo, which I thought, you know, if there, if there was a potential issue with the connection, then that would have been it. And the guy actually, and then he started walking me through the script. And, you know, I'm like, oh, come on, man. I, I know how to do this. You know, I'm on, I'm a geek. And. But no, he led me down the right path. So check it out. Here's what happened. So first he was like, well, try another interface except the HDMI. And I'm like, okay. You know, I told him I reset it. And I'm like, so, so I tried component video. I pulled the yep. cables out of my DV, DVD player, which I have hooked up to a component. Or is it compo no, component? Which is, you know, probably the best analog signal that you're going to get. Arguably as good, if not better than HDMI, but go ahead. Yeah, I think below that you got S-Video and then Composite. But anyways, Correct. so I plugged it into the TiVo component video and everything sounded and looked fine. I'm like, And what hmm. did you change? You changed audio from HDMI to optical? No, no. Uh, my, my audio is still with RCA plugs. 
But no, of course, HDMI carries both the audio and the video. So, so but, right. but anyways, okay. so I switched so you, it to you TiVo. So you were doing analog too. audio regardless. Correct. Got it. Right. So I hooked up component video and everything sounded fine out of the TiVo. I'm like, okay, that rules out the TiVo. But then why would step change two. the video out? No, I changed the video and the audio. Okay. Okay. So I was taking video from the component output of the TiVo and audio from the RCA jacks out of the TiVo into so, the TV. Let me so I was straight. doing... I mentioned Lucy phone and somehow now we're talking about component video. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Keep going. No, but I want to tell you how, how this solved the problem because it is kind of a geeky thing. Then he's like, well, you know, why don't you try a different HDMI connector? I'm like, no, no, I reset the TiVo. This works. Uh, you know, I already did that. And he's like, nah, just, just, just humor me. Right. And I'm like, well, I actually have two HDMI ports on the uh, TV. So I plugged it to the other HDMI port. Problem solved. So- I plugged it into the initial HDMI port. So what I'm getting to is here's what happened. Somehow, and I didn't think this was possible, Dave, the HDMI connection got munged. Huh. And that whatever handshake the device does, it, because as you know, the, the audio, it's digital audio for all purposes. Right. Through HDMI. For whatever reason, that somehow got glitched and by unplugging and replugging. Oh, interesting. Huh. It was weird because I, ne- I never thought that digital audio could get corrupted or confused like that, but apparently it can. That's very interesting. So maybe it has nothing to do with Max, but it was a, it was an interesting, so a tip of the hat to TiVo, but also sometimes it's worth, even though you think you know what you're doing to listen to the person on the phone guiding you through what they're probably reading through, which is the script. And in this case it worked. I, I had never thought of disconnecting and reconnecting the HDMI cable, but in this case it, it fixed the problem. So yay TiVo, let's move on. Well, you, you, <laughs> it, no, it's, it, it's, it's, but we might, we're, we're already well down the path of attention here. Uh, it, it's worth saying, yeah, those scripts, are created for a reason. Now, if, if depending on your your actual and perceived level of geekness, uh, you, it's very easy to quickly become frustrated with those scripts uh, while you're waiting for the person to go through it and kind of going through the motions. In fact, I've been known to be quite disrespectful, not of the person, but of the script from time to time where the, you know, the person will say, well, go ahead and, you know, reboot your cable modem. And I'll say, okay, hang on, you know, unplug your cable modem. I'll say, okay, hang on. Okay, I've got it unplugged. <laughs> Seconds, you know, and I've got I go through this whole thing. Okay, now I'm plugging it back in, and really, what I'm doing is my feet are up on the desk uh, because I've already been through it, right? But it it is good to keep you know half a mind uh, out there, uh, kind of paying attention to what the script is, and you know, don't assume if if they ask you something that is slightly different from what you've tried. Don't be don't be dismissive of it, because as you found, John, and I've found it, too, that there are some of those things where it's like, hey, wait a minute, you're asking me to do something that's slightly different. OK, doesn't make sense to me. I wouldn't have chosen to do it, but sure, let's go ahead and try it. If for nothing else than to rule it out and and and, you know, be able to be honest with this person on the other end of the phone saying, yes, I tried that. Right. It's it's one thing to to phony through the process of rebooting your mm. your router or whatever when you've already done this five times before you picked up the phone right you know you you know it's like teaching a pig to sing and, and it's just not going to help but but you've got this person mm. has to check off yep we rebooted the router before they get to the the end of their script but uh but do make sure you do all the things on the script at some yeah. point yeah so that's good that's right. Cool. So my, my thought was that resetting the TiVo was equivalent to resetting the HDMI, interf- HDMI interface, and apparently uh, it is not. That's why I right. was getting frustrated because I thought it was it was an unnecessary step, but it turns out it wasn't. Well, I, I suppose this could relate to, well, no, I don't think any Macs have HDMI yet, do they? Uh, yeah. No, 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 the, the mini. mini. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is Mac related. So if you have oh a problem with your, <laughs> yeah, but, that's a but still stretch. nothing related to Lucy Phone, which is where we, how we got here. But that's okay. 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 Uh, uh, you know, o- along the iPhone lines, I want to mention our second sponsor now, and that is a new sponsor to the show called Square Trade. Now, Square Trade makes uh, or offers a warranty for the iPhone, and this the way it works. It's actually really, really cool. I, I went through the process uh, on my own here. I downloaded uh, an app to my iPhone, right? And then I went through the process and signed up right there in the app. 
and my iPhone had a warranty on it. And that was that it's two years of coverage against accidents and failures. So unlike Apple care, you get protection from drops and spills and all those things that, you know, Apple care says, Hey, sorry, Charlie, that's not, uh, that's not how we work. Uh, we have a special discount that it's, it's 99 bucks for your iPhone for two years. But if you use uh, the link, which is squaretrade.com slash MacGeekGab, all lowercase, uh, you get five bucks off of that. So it's 95 bucks or it's $94 uh, for that. Half the price of what you'd pay AT&T for the same coverage. AT&T has their mobile protect thing going now, but, uh, but this turns out to be half the price. And they do the repairs, but 80% of them are completed in one day. And if they can't replace your phone, I'm sorry, <laughs> if they can't fix your phone, they will replace it. So, uh, y- you know, I, I'm always, I, I'll, I'll say this as an aside, and this is my commentary here, but it, but I believe it's worth saying any warranty company, any third party w- warranty company, th- there's always, and rightly so, there's always a reason to be, you know, to, to, to be curious and, and you must proceed with caution. I have talked with these people. I have done as much research as anyone can do short of smashing my iPhone and sending it to them uh, to see how the repair process works. But these people are the real deal. You can definitely go ahead and, uh, and, and feel comfortable working with them. They've worked with a lot of people. Uh, they've been around a while. So it's square trade. Again, it's squaretrade.com slash Mac geek that gets you, Five bucks off, so it's $94, and uh, that's it, squaretrade.com. You download the app, you do it on your phone. Uh, you've got to do it within 30 days of getting the device. Uh, otherwise, there's actually a, a penalty uh, or a different pricing, I believe. But, uh, but, but go ahead and check it out because, uh, because they're very eager to, uh, to help everybody. So check it out, squaretrade.com slash MacGeekGab. All right. Hmm. You're not willing to smash your phone. You know, I actually was very curious to to see how the process goes, but um, but no, no, I'm not willing to smash my phone, John. I was willing to well, go through every bit of the process except that. So right, you know, right. Well, well, you know, I may like once they come out with the Verizon iPhone, which I hear is any day now. Then uh, mm-hmm. I may consider the coverage. There you go. And then you'll smash your phone, right? Because you're the guy that takes it for the team. That's uh, that's <laughs> yes. that's what you do here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so cool stuff found that's sort of related to that. I mentioned this idea earlier, but I actually put it into practice. I had to do a gig last week, a week ago, with some old friends down in Connecticut. And they had learned a bunch of new songs and were playing a bunch of different stuff than when I played with them last and some of them are these country tunes, which sound very simple on the surface and and are very typically have very straightforward grooves and all that. But there's lots of stops and stuff. And if you don't catch those stops, uh, you know, oftentimes you miss the punchline of the song and it, it really kind of sucks. So I wanted to chart them out and make sure I had charts on stage with me because we weren't going to get a rehearsal. We just, you know, just hit the stage and go. And I was comfortable with the rest of the musicians that that was going to be fine. I just wanted to make sure I held up my end of the bargain. So I charted all the songs out and I did it either. I did it in pages, either on my Mac or on my iPad, just as I was listening. And I have my own little shorthand uh, for, for charting things out and it works out fine. And then instead of printing all these charts and having papers all over the stage, I brought my iPad to the gig and, uh, and I set the display timer to be, you know, like timeout. I actually, I set it to be infinite so it would never turn off. So I could always look down and see it. But of course, I was worried, you know, there's there's always, you know, you're either going to have water or beer or, you know, a soda or whatever on stage with you. And there's just stuff all over the place. And I didn't want anything to happen to the iPad, but I knew it was going to be kind of on the floor propped up. So I put it in a gallon plastic bag. And this was something I read about. I believe I mentioned it during one of our shows, but I read about it, I think, on Epicurious or something advising people if they that wanted to use their iPad in the kitchen. Right. You don't want to get grease and stuff all over the stupid thing. And the cool part is even through a plastic plastic bag, it works totally fine. Uh, the touchscreen works just like you're touching the screen. So and it's, you know, Ziploc. So unless unless you rip the bag and, and I used a freezer grade bag. So, it you know, had a good good bit of good bit of heft to it. And uh, and it worked fine. And it actually put a little bit of anti glare on the thing. 
So I didn't have any problems with lights kind of reflecting off of it or anything. And it worked totally great. And I could just flip through between songs. You know, I had the set list charted out. So I just flipped up. Of course, they changed the set list on stage. So I had to shuffle through. But uh, but that's how it rolls. But uh, but it worked totally fine. And I had everything I needed right there for the gig and avoided what would have likely been, you know, many, many potential train wrecks. So that 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 said, gallon plastic bag for your iPad, you could use a sandwich bag for your iPhone if you're going to the pool or whatever this summer. Works totally fine. Keeps it zippity and uh, the only thing you probably can't do is talk through the bag because it might sound like mm-hmm. you're talking through a bag, which of course you are. And speaking of bags, Dave, you know, this is something uh, someone brought my attention to when I had a, a totally different problem. Okay. Having to do with my uh, digital camera. Yeah. This had happened a little while ago, so I was out and about and I believe I went from, yes, I went from a very cool location. So this was sometime in February. Yep. So I went from a very cool location because it was snowing and it was winter. Sure. And then I went into the local bookstore. Well, of course, the local bookstore was about 70 degrees and outside it was probably about 30 degrees. Right. Well, guess what happened to the lens on my camera? Uh, condensation. You got it. And I, I was I was going online chatting about this. You know, I, I swabbed it off. I had some, you know, cotton swabs, you know, which, which is a fine solution, but it doesn't solve the problem right away. And then someone suggested, oh, well, you know, there's a way to guard against this. And the suggestion was. Um, Actually, cotton swabs are more of a solid, not a solution. Right, right. <laughs> right. Excellent. But no, someone suggested that uh, uh, the same thing, that a airtight plastic bag would prevent, oh, because I guess maybe, yeah, would, would uh, uh, lessen the, uh, the sort of problem. I have yet to try it out because the... Uh, right. Well, you know, I suppose I could try it because now, of course, I'm in an air-conditioned room and outside it's uh, sweltering. And humid. So maybe yeah. I could uh, simulate the same thing. But I've seen multiple people suggest that this is a way to prevent or reduce the amount of time that you have to wait around for the, uh, I guess, because it's controlling the environment that the uh, the camera's in. Right. So. Right. Right. Anyways, plastic bags are good for all, just all sorts of all things. All kinds of things. Yep. And then uh, I have a camera. Uh, uh, and then speaking of cameras, Dave, I do have a cool stuff found that I like to mention here because it, it is somewhat related. So, so okay. this is a tangent, but it's related to the other thing that I talked about. Uh, cool stuff found. Now, there, there is something in the world of photography uh, that, that's pretty new, and it's called HDR. Okay. And HDR stands for High Dynamic Range. Okay. And, well, as the name implies, what it does is it gives you... So, so the thing is, the image capture element, at least in a digital camera, whether it be uh, CMOS or, uh, or a CCD or something like that, are, are limited in what they can capture versus the human eye. So when you're taking a picture, it may not necessarily be what your eye will see. So somebody came up with this kind of clever technique here called HDR. Right. What you do is you take pictures at different exposures. And a lot of cameras do this. My camera, for example, will do this where I can say, all right, when I'm taking a picture of something, take three pictures for me. Take one at negative one EV or exposure value, I believe is what that stands for. Take one at regular exposure and then take another one at plus one exposure. And then what this utility does, and, and that's the, the general uh, accepted way of creating an HDR photo is by taking multiple photos at different exposures and then munging them all together. Well, somebody came up with a free utility, and I do hear um, from the, uh, the author that they're going to come up with a, a pay one that does more thing, but it's called HDRtist. Get it? Ah, Artist. Yes, that's right. So it's HDRtist. And uh, who is, is this? Ohana? Is that, is that the guy's name? Ah, uh, yes, Ohana. Ohana wear. All right. And, and if you go to their page, I mean, it, it, it's worth trying out if your camera can do this. Otherwise, you may have to fiddle with your camera. But you basically take the three photos. It has an align feature because here's the problem is sometimes if you're doing this and you don't have a tripod. Sure. Even the steadiest hand can't take three photos without jiggling a little bit. Oh, there's no so, way. That's right. So it has. So you either to do these properly, you either need a tripod so that there's no movement in the camera. But it also has a pretty decent Align mode where it'll take the three photos and try to overlap them and find the uh, the common area, and then you hit the and then basically lets you uh, apply different levels of HDR. And some of the photos can be really striking because you just get way more color and way more. Uh, check it out. Of course, we'll link to it in the show notes. But it's something that I found and I've been experimenting with, and and a lot of and and it's 
again, one of the, the big things in the photography circles and it's uh, the, the basic program is free and they're probably going to come up with a pro version that'll let you do uh, more stuff. So. All right. Cool. That's awesome. That's uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to check that out with our, uh, with our camera that, that I can, I can see where you could get some cool, cool effects happening that way. Yeah. I think it's called bracket mode is what you want to look for. The, okay. the, the, at least my camera, you hit the button once and it basically just snaps three pictures and, and automatically does that exposure uh, bracketing. So, uh, so yeah, you, you have some uh, fancy cameras in, in the family. So I'm almost positive uh, the Nikons. Yeah. Do that for you. Yeah. you got a D60 that Lisa uses a bunch. So uh, yeah, cool. Awesome. Uh, you know, oh gosh, I don't know. We've, I don't even know where to go with this. We've got so much stuff. I, you know, I did want to take a couple minutes, John, and talk about something I briefly mentioned, I believe, during a previous Cool Stuff Found show. But uh, but it's called Powerline. We've talked about it before. It is the concept is if you want to connect two devices with an Ethernet cable, but there is no Ethernet Cable in the walls, you know, if you want to connect two different rooms by Ethernet cable, uh, you can't. Right. You know, you, I mean, you could you could run cables along the floor. You could try to do an airport connection where you're doing wireless, but sometimes you're too far away. So there's this technology and it's been out for a while, but it keeps getting refined called Powerline. And I've had the opportunity for the last couple of months to test Netgear's latest Powerline AV product. Now, what AV stands for is it it's the. Nomenclature used to de- to describe the latest of the Powerline uh, family of products, and these are built to stream video. Uh, essentially, they have higher bandwidth capabilities than previous Powerlines. So these max out, they say, at 200 megabits a second, which is pretty darn good. It's not gigabit Ethernet, but uh, but certainly hmm. that's enough. Now, real world. You know, it's like anything else. What the, the way this works is it's you plug it. You, you get this little device on one side of the device is an Ethernet jack. And on the other side is a three prong power outlet. So you literally plug the thing into the wall and then plug the Ethernet into it. Then you go find a jack somewhere else in your house where you want the connection to, to terminate and you or extend, I should say. And you plug it into the wall and you plug an Ethernet cable in there and And then it pretty much just works. There's a little piece of software on the Mac that actually goes out and finds not only the one that would be considered local, but uh, but also the one that's remote on the other end of the power stream. And you can do some security things with them so that not just anyone could say, you know, like a guest couldn't come into my house and plug in a power line adapter downstairs and bridge onto the network. Although if you're in my house, I'm not really worried about you bridging onto my (laughs) network. Uh, That's at least that's not my primary concern. Uh, But but. But it really works. And and this thing tells you what the throughput is uh, that it's getting out of the devices. And so for me, I'm getting right about 100 megabits a second, which is totally fine. What I've done, I used to have uh, in my house where the, the network cable comes in. You know, we've got the cable underground that goes from the office to the house and the office has the cable modem. So it feeds it to the house and all that works fine. And then. All that kind of happens in in one front corner of the house. Our TV, which means our TiVo, our Wii, all of that other stuff is completely in the same floor, but opposite corner of the house. So it's always been a little bit of a stretch. I've tried different airport antennas and this, that and the other thing just to make sure I get a solid signal there. I always get a signal. But, you know, when you're streaming video from Netflix or trying to download a you know HD movie from Amazon, you want all the bandwidth that you can get. Right. And uh and, and I wasn't always getting everything that I that I could. So this was a perfect opportunity for me to test this. So I plugged them in and it totally works. Clear streaming, clear all that. And now because I've got essentially an Ethernet link between the two corners of my house, I put another airport uh, base station on the remote end and put it into bridge mode. So now I've got airport broadcasters in either corner of my house. So now I'm totally covered. I used to have some spots where, you know, my iPhone might, you know, kind of fall off the network or our laptops would fall off the network. Sometimes that doesn't happen anymore. And it, it, the setup of this thing is so easy. In fact, in the time that we've spent talking about it, uh, you could have unpacked it, plugged them in and been done. Uh, it, it really, huh. really, yeah, it's, it's totally nice. cool. Yeah. I think it's a and- hundred, hundred and, 40 bucks for for what I have which is the Powerline AV 
500. Uh, it, it's two device, you know, it's, it's a, it's a kit and it's, which means it's two devices instead of just one. Cause right. right. You know, one isn't going to do you any good, uh, unless you already have an existing setup with them, but you get two of them. They have the AV 500 plus, which in addition to doing it, everything I just described, it's got a power outlet on it. So it, it essentially makes it not take up an outlet. You plug the thing in and then it's got an outlet that you can plug mm. something else into, which is cool. Right. I mean, that, that, that that's very Mac like to me, right. You know, that I'll put, I'll, I'll, I'll go here, but I'm not in your way. And I like that. Right. And now it sounds like from what you told me, I believe some of the, the early products would have issues, especially on different circuits. Yeah. So I'm definitely on two different circuits with this. I had a okay. long conversation with them and asked them about it and they said, no, as long as it's all, this is where it's interesting. It's as long as it's all coming into the same circuit breaker box, which may not be the case in your home, right? I mean, you might have hmm. multiple circuit breakers, uh, circuit breaker boxes, but, but as long as it's all coming into the same box, they said there's enough proximity there that the signal essentially just jumps from one circuit to the other, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, but it, it totally works. And I've been, I, it's one of those things that I set up. And of course I was ecstatic about it the day that I set it up. Cause it's like, Oh man, if this really works the way it seems like it's working, I, I'm going to be a happy camper. And then, you know, a month goes by and I don't even think about it, which is exactly uh, how I like my technology to work, right? I, I like cool, geeky stuff that I can be geeky about when I want to be geeky about it. But otherwise, I just want to be able to rely on it 100% of the time and not have to think about it. And this falls into that category. So it's like gold star cool stuff found. Very happy to be using it. Okay. Can we can we squeeze in a question, you think? Uh, you know, I think we're going to have to wait till Thursday, John. We've got another yeah. Thursday. So we'll, 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 uh, we'll do all these questions on Thursday. It's good. It's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm in Princeton tomorrow night doing a cool stuff found style Ooh. presentation. Yep. Yep. So I'm taking the train down long travel day tomorrow. I think I'm leaving the house at like five oh, thirty, and then, and then presenting at night. So hopefully I'll get some sleep on the train or, uh, or maybe a 20 minute yeah. snooze in the hotel before I do the prezo. But, uh, or you could, you could surf. I, I've heard they, uh, I've heard they do uh wifi on the Acela now or some Acela's. Uh, actually, or even regionals. The, yeah, this is a regional and I'll, I'll have my MiFi with me. So I will oh, certainly course. have a connection. That's right. But yeah, I love going down and talking, uh, the, the PMUG people down the Princeton Mac user group. They, they're so nice. And, uh, and it's a great crowd. They're really, really responsive and into it. it it's a pleasure. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's not quite the size of a Mac world crowd, but it's, uh, which is, you know, which is a whole different animal, but, uh, but there's, you know, enough people there that you feel like. Uh, you're reaching a good amount of people and yet everybody can ask questions and it's a totally open environment. It's great. And plus you, you know, you're there in at Princeton speaking where all these like major brains of the world have spoken. So it's a, it's an inspiring room, even if perhaps I'm not quite up to their caliber. Yeah. Maybe, maybe humbling. It's, oh, it's, oh, it's humbling. All right. Yeah. When you're walking in, you know, last year was the first time I did it and I'm walking in and there's all these pictures of all these, you know, Nobel prize winners, on the wall and i'm like wow this is pretty cool i'm like were they students here what oh they're like oh no well maybe some of them were but most of them were faculty and and uh and and their pictures are here because they all spoke in this in the same lecture hall that you're about to go do your uh, presentation in like oh okay and i said do, do i get my picture on the wall when i'm done they're like well do you have a nobel prize like oh, no not yet so you know that's how it goes uh yeah i think all right i think that's uh it. let me see if i can find the band here there they are. Yeah, I hope they didn't melt away. Yeah, it was hot outside today. Yeah, I, I had to kick on the AC in the studio here. Thank goodness oh. for quiet, ductless air conditioning units, folks. Wait a minute. Wait, that's not right. That's not the right one. No, I totally foobarred that. I clicked, totally clicked the wrong one. Let's do this one. <laughs> nope. You, you've broken the illusion that the band somehow knows when we're wrapping things up, Dave. And we're not going to, because before we wrap things up, Dave, one thing that we have to do, Dave, though, before we wrap up, so we always tell people how to get in touch with us. And I would say probably the first way or a way, maybe here's the way you get in touch with us. You pick up the phone. You call us at 206-666-GEEK, which is Dave. 4335. You can email us, as Michael pointed out earlier, to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Mm. Yeah. Feedback 
at MacGeekab.com. That's right. Uh, you can send audio comments there. You know, I, I wanted to mention something else, and since this is a Cool Stuff Found show, I, I'll mention it here. There's a piece of software called Skitch, S-K-I-T-C-H. Uh, Mike Muldoon from the New Hampshire Users Group, uh, the Seacoast Users Group, pointed it out to me years ago. It is one of the best and easiest to use screen capture utilities. And the cool part is you pull it in, you you do your screen capture, you launch the app, you do your screen capture, it pulls it in, and then you can do quick edits right there in the interface. You can do highlights and circles and arrows and put text on it, and then you just drag the, the screen capture to your email program or whatever. You can do this. If you have something you want to point out to us, use Skitch, right? Drag that into your email that's going to go to, of course, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And uh, and then we really get to see what you're talking about. Highlights. It'll grab just Windows. It's really, really cool stuff. So uh, so that's that. Uh, where was I, John? Huh? MacGeekGab.com is where you get the show notes. Skype. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Oh, Skype? Right. MacGeekab, you can Skype, though, yeah, as you pointed out, the uh, audio quality is uh, lacking on that. But hey, yeah. if, it's, uh, if it's the way you want to do it. That's right. We'll, uh, Dave will work his magic at the soundboard, <laughs> the virtual soundboard. That's right. And try to make you sound as good as you actually, possibly can. Actually, it's a real soundboard. I, I still, uh, I, whenever we have audio comments, I'm always tweaking the EQ with, with physical <clears throat> knobs on a real EQ here. So uh, it's just easier that way. Really? Well, I know notice that is that uh well yeah and in your billing uh it, it surprised me that you were listed as the uh, producer of the show which yeah i mean somebody you are to do it that's right somebody's got to press the button that's right somebody <laughs> well some of the other behind the scenes work of course <laughs> well there's that too but hey you know it's, it's all it's a big family here, what else so. and speaking of show notes uh well i'm going to speak about twitter you can follow us. So, my personal Twitter is John F. Ron. Dave's personal Twitter is Dave Hamilton. If you want to read some you know, interesting things that are happening in Mac Geekab, it's Mac Geekab. And, of course, the fountain of all Mac knowledge and wisdom, Mac Observer, all on Twitter. That's right. I'd like to thank Michael Johnston again from the We Have Communicators podcast. He converts this show to AAC for you. Cashfly, of course, at cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth for this podcast. Blog World Expo. John and I will be there. In fact, we need to finalize our travel plans. But, Ooh, uh, I but, gotta uh, book a flight. Yeah. Well, you could. Or walk. take the train. Yeah. Good can, luck with oh, that. I, <laughs> you know, I try in Las Vegas, October fourteenth through sixteenth, mm-hmm. uh, and between now and September fifteenth, you can use our special code to get twenty percent off of your ticket and that code is observer vip o-b-s-e-r-v-e-r-v-i-p through september 15th podcast marketplace includes the a2 desktop speakers from audio engine the jimbo from barebones software text expander from smile on my mac and disc label this summer from smile on my mac notebook from circus ponies and all through the backbeat media podcast network i believe that's it john i think we are out of here all right. So, um... I queued the band. Yeah. Good. Yeah, speaking of the train, I was taking the train the other... Oh, it was crazy. I don't know what was happening in New York City a couple nights ago. The train was full. It was standing room only. It's a beautiful thing. Well, I, I think it was... Well, there was a... I think it was a baseball game. Ah. Yankees. That yeah, I saw Yankees and Boston people duking it out on the train. I'll be back Thursday. We'll both be back Thursday. Between now and then, have fun. Don't get caught. Made up.